I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Hello, everybody. We hope everybody had a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys got all your shopping done, if not at least a few things. Black Friday's over. Cyber Monday's coming up. Mine is actually 99% done. Uh, I don't know what makes anything better during the holiday season than having a Montiel near walk-off finish. What are your thoughts, buddy? My thoughts are pretty positive about that. Even from down here in the bunker, I'm pretty sure they could hear me shrieking with joy on the surface of our husk of a planet. I just, that was a nice way to go into a holiday instead of uh, the usual sense of overhanging dread. And I, for one, am very glad we got it. Absolutely. And speaking of bunker, I think it's pretty interesting to see the news come out today of Roma finding World War II bombs in their practice facility. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) this is the most italian thing i can imagine really is just oh by the way here's some unexploded ordinance that you've been you know having people run back and forth and push vibrations through the earth on for who knows how many decades i'm sure it's fine what maybe that's maybe that's why uh new construction in florence is such a problem maybe there's just a bunch of munitions all over the ground and only a couple of people know where they are and they're not sharing that information i don't know mike what is is that it that would be the only thing that makes sense only only thing that makes sense and and in florence we don't have the the pseudo gods like toti who runs over our pitches and practices to protect the rest of the players so you know, I, I guess we just wait and find out how many bombs are there, and then will we build eventually? Well, while we're waiting, we can always entertain ourselves with one question. Mike, what are you drinking today? Well, 
to channel a Billy Joel, I got a bottle of red and a bottle of white. Brunello and Aquapana. So that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> How about you, bud? That, that sounds like the Mike special. I am, mm-hmm. I am drinking a Negroni because it's 11.30 a.m. and anything heavier sounds like it would probably kill me after the excesses of the past couple of days. Thanksgiving will do that to you, I guess. Oh, God. it's It's been rough this year. Probably eaten as much as non-Americans think that Americans eat at Thanksgiving, and that's that's not a good thing. I'm, I'm going to have to go run a lot this upcoming week to feel like I'm not going to die. <laughs> I, I actually just gave up my lunches recently because my wife made a chocolate peanut butter pie at home. Uh, so right now I'm no longer eating lunch and I'm just eating chocolate peanut butter pie three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that sounds really nice. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I was going to make fun of you for that. Then I thought about it for a second. That sounds fantastic. It is. All right. Well, I think the next thing we move into here is, uh, we got to move into birthdays and we have a few notable ones, including perhaps the most notable at the club. And so let's go ahead. Uh, Rocco Camiso, happy birthday, turned 71 this past Wednesday, the 25th. And all we could say is happy birthday, I guess. What, what, what say you, Mike? You know, I, I, I definitely think that the first birthday he had uh, under the club's ownership was better, you know, for many reasons. You know, there was a lot more uh, excitement with inside of the club. Uh, the future was very bright, and I think it still is. But you also didn't have this big cloud of, of COVID hanging over the entire world, uh, which has really restricted his ability to come and go from Florence. Uh, he has a private jet uh, to come and go from Florence, um, you know, as he wants to. Uh, so it, it's making him stay in Florence, making him stay in the United States. And and now probably as a result, he'll be staying here for a little bit longer. Um, But, you know, what more can be said? Uh, I still stand by the man. I still uh, believe everything that he says in his heart. He is now Florentine. In his heart, it bleeds purple. Uh, He wants to see this club succeed more than anybody. I still remember the first time I met him and he asked me what my expectations for the club under his ownership was. And I was like, you know, I'd love to be top five and compete for Europe. And he's like, no, we need to start competing for the top. Um, I, I think he's learned a lot, but in all honesty, he is still Rocco sleeping Camiso. Uh, and I think that as a club and as a group of fans, we need to get back to that. You know, um, we had, we had that, that lull. You know the 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 Beppe lull, uh, but I think now hopefully coming back out of that, uh, everybody will be a little bit more excited and and respectful to the man that uh, is dropping a lot of money on a club. He's not pulling any of that money out of the club. It's all stuff that he's dropping in to try to make winners. So, you know, I don't know how else to say it. You know, he deserves the respect. Um, he deserves uh, a lot of the the. Uh, best wishes from everybody out there, in my opinion. I second that wholeheartedly. I do think it's a little bit funny that for his birthday, 
he is the one spending all of the money rather than the other way around. I guess that's sort of the dynamic when you own the club, but it would be nice to uh, to give him something back, maybe from the fans, besides uh, a whole lot of criticisms that are, frankly, a little bit unfounded, I think, considering COVID and the fact that he's owned the club for less than two full seasons. So, yeah, as, as, a, as a gift, I would say maybe we can all be a little bit nicer to Rocco, but, you know... The man's got pretty much everything he could possibly ever want, so I don't think there's a whole lot we can we can get him. Uh, another birthday, a little bit of a slightly different scale, perhaps, is that on Tuesday, the 1st of December, Stephanie Orstrom turns 34, and she's a pretty big deal in Florence. She's awesome. I mean, well, I've got the got this written down here 76 appearances since 2016 spent years as the number one goalkeeper won a boatload of trophies with the club and she's just rad and when you think about 76 appearances i mean that doesn't sound like a lot for those people who follow men's football but for but for people who understand how many games are played in the women's league that is a lot you know she's been around she has been legit she has also been very loyal. Uh, she has a great following in the city. I hope that uh, as her career maybe is winding down, it seems like she's willing to take a step back, uh, still be a leader, which is what the club needs most of all, um, but allow some of the younger people to come in and, and maintain the goal uh, as we've seen some of that transition recently. Uh, I did see, though, uh, Viola Club Go Women uh, actually put out last week uh, announcing that she was actually named the most elegant on the club. Congratulations to her on both her birthday and being most elegant. That is a heck of a gift. I mean, that, yep. wow. Getting that from a bunch of native Florentines, too, is really saying something. Wow. So everyone, go check out uh, Stephanie Orstrom's Instagram for sure to get a look at some of the fits. And while you're there, wish her a happy birthday. And while we're on the subject of long-serving Fiorentina goalkeepers, we've got one more birthday here. On Wednesday, the 2nd of December, one Francesco Toldo turns 49, and Toldo shouldn't need any introduction. He's an absolute Fiorentina legend. Spent, what, eight years at the club? Uh, won the last two major trophies the club is responsible or has in the cabinet. Uh, won the Supercopa. Uh, he made the Fiorentina Hall of Fame in 2015. He was voted uh, part of the all-time eleven a few years ago. Yeah, just one of the one of the all-time greats. And so, happy birthday, Francesco, too. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. I was uh, speaking with a, a couple of friends of mine from from Turkey. Uh, and as you would uh, imagine, the first thing that comes up is uh, Fatih. Uh, but ironically, the next thing that came up in this group chat was one name followed by a whole bunch of exclamation points, Toldo, exclamation points. And that was just it. You know, so all these people <laughs> knew and associated uh, Fatih, but then also uh, 
uh, Toldo going back into uh, back in, in time a little bit here. So he, he definitely was one of those that made an impression uh, locally, but also globally. Got to appreciate that. And also, he wore the gray hair as a professional athlete better than just about anyone. And as someone who is starting to find more and more of those on myself, makes me feel very good. And I'm, I'm very grateful to him for that. So happy birthday, Francesco, also. All right. And while we're talking about thankful things, given the, uh, given the season that we're in for Thanksgiving in the U.S., I think we should probably take a moment from all of the doom and gloom around Fiorentina right now to say some things that we're thankful for about the club. So I'm going to vote we each pick three things, Mike, and would you like to go first or shall I? Why don't you go ahead, bud? All right. In that case, here we go. The first thing I am thankful for about Fiorentina is all the pain they put me through. And while that sounds a little bit paradoxical, uh, I think, I think what, what hits me is that it hurts because it matters. It, it, you know, like if, if it didn't matter, it wouldn't hurt. Like watching them say, cough up a two goal lead to Spezia, that shouldn't hurt at this point because we all knew it was going to happen and it still did. I mean, to, to me, it's a little bit like when you go through a breakup when you're at, like in high school, say, or when you're 20 with the person who you think is just like the one for you and because you're a kid and don't know anything and haven't really been with anyone and have no perspective, you think that this is the one that matters, like everything is important. And it hurts so much more than a breakup does after you've had a few relationships and you kind of know how it goes. For me, it still hurts like the like that first breakup every single time when Fiorentina does something stupid, which this year is constantly. And I'm thankful for that because it reminds me that Fiorentina is still that important to me no matter what. And that's that's a good feeling for me. Uh, the second thing that I'm very thankful for as a Fiorentina fan is the club's history because there's not a whole lot of present and we don't really know about the future. But luckily, Fiorentina does have one of the best histories of any clubs in Italy. I mean, you know, you can talk about lots of trophies. Uh, Scudetto in 55-56 and 68-69, a bunch of Coppa Italia, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup, the pre the predecessor to the UEFA, or sorry, Europa League now trophy in 1960, 1961. Uh, some of the most iconic players of all time through the years. I mean, Pedro Petrone, Giulino, Miguel Montuori, Kurt Hamrin, Giancarlo Antonioni, Roberto Baggio, Rui Costa, Gabriel Batistuta. But also, unfortunately, I'm way too young to remember most of those guys or any of them really. And uh, the trophies pretty much not at all. So for me, it's the history of broken things that really stands out. So for example, the 2010 champions league, uh, when Fiorentina got knocked out against Bayern on just the absolutely worst refereed two leg tie I've ever 
seen or can imagine in my life. Uh, or say those years from 2012 to 2015 under Vincenzo Montella for the first time when the club finished fourth three years in a row, but because so many other Italian clubs had failed in Europe for a decade previously, the coefficient changed and that was no longer a Champions League spot and that took a whole bunch of money away from Fiorentina and a bunch of prestige and is probably as responsible as anything for where they are now. Uh, and then all of these beautiful broken players who I've always loved and who brought so much to the club. I, you know, guys like Adi Mutu or uh, Juan Vargas, you know, guys who were just absolute nut jobs and probably couldn't have made it at a bigger club where they would have been under more media pressure and more, more people really bearing down on them to straighten up and fly right. Or you get guys like Borja Valero, you know, the former West Bromwich Albion failure. Or uh, David Pizarro, who kind of bounced around and everyone thought was washed. Or you get... Alonso. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or you get someone Bar like... Yeah. Same thing. All these just underrated guys who somehow wind up in Florence. Uh, Sebastian Fry, who was one of the best goalkeepers in Europe and ended up with like maybe what, three caps for France or something because he just didn't get along with the coaches. And so to me, that, that kind of history matters so much. Just all of these weird, quirky, broken people and events. And the third thing, not to get too schmaltzy, that I'm really thankful for is Viola Nation. Uh, all the regular commenters on the website, uh, everyone we interact with on Twitter, everyone who listens to this podcast, y'all are awesome. I've, I have been reading Viola Nation since it was the Fiorentina offside in a whole different website probably about 12 years ago. I've been commenting regularly for more than a decade. And the, the group there is just... I cannot put into words how much that group means to me. They've helped me get through some pretty awful personal stuff They're I mean, everyone there is smart, funny, well-adjusted and just endlessly great. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening or who reads our stuff or interacts with us at all. Thank you for being there. Y'all, Y'all make my life so much better. I don't know how how I would be able to be a fan without all of you there. And I, I cannot put into words how grateful I am for everything you do. So those are my three things, Mike. Uh, what do you got for yours? Right now, I'm, I'm regretting that I let you go first because now I have to follow that. <laughs> so. um, you know, for, for starters, before I get into mine, you did mention Kurt Hammerin. Uh, I know that he had his birthday uh, probably about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. And, and I know we probably missed that just because it's in between a couple podcasts. So uh, no better person to throw up a glass and, and salute than, than Kurt himself. So uh, happy birthday to the man uh, who's, who's not only a legend for the club, but is now a legend in the city doing a lot of great things for that area. Here, Yeah, here, here. That was uh, Thursday the 19th. And he turned, yep. God, he's, give me just a sec here. 
and he turned 86 and has been living in Florence, I think, ever since he retired. What a legend. Yeah. You know, a couple of friends of mine sent uh, a video to me on Facebook about uh, it was him playing, you know, just kicking the ball around streets of Florence with a couple of the guys uh, probably about a year or so ago because they didn't have masks on. So it definitely wasn't this year. Um, but man, that guy still has control. Uh, it's amazing to watch the balance and the control he has, even at his age right now. Uh, but he's definitely a legend for the club. He's a legend for the city. I mean, he does a lot of great things there. So uh, important to throw it out for him. Uh, yeah, so, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year. Very interesting year. Uh, first thing that I'm going to be thankful for is, is, is a personal, um, you know, side of things. At the beginning of the year, nobody really knew what coronavirus was going to turn into. At, at this point, we knew that it was uh, uh, over in Asia. Uh, I don't think anybody expected it to become what it is now. Um, but my daughter was born at the beginning of the year in, in February, uh, Wilhelmina Viola Rose. Um, you know, partly my grandfather was uh, uh, a gardener, loved making roses, uh, and his name was Robert. I didn't like the middle name Roberta, and it only made sense to connect Viola Rose together as the middle name. And that's what we went with. Um, but she's brought incredible joy. Uh, each and every day during this pandemic, I'm one of those who now works from home, as many people do. And I've, you know, been blessed by that because I get to see her, you know, through all of those uh, different growth, you know, moments of, of her life. And uh, it, it's been an incredible moment. And then you get to decorate her, or, you know, dress her up in, in all of the uh, uh, Fiorentina onesies, because, of course, that's the only thing that Fiorentina has for babies. <laughs> Is, is onesies and bibs, uh, hint, hint, you know, make some more. Not that I'm going to have any more kids, but for everybody else, I think it's important to, to dress uh, babies up in cute clothes for the club because that's, that's what people like on, on social media. Um, so that's number one, you know, the personal side of things, you know, having, having a little girl growing up during the pandemic to uh, make things just better, you know, because it's, it's an awful situation what's going on right now. Um, and that's that's been the the one thing that that's kept me you know grounded. Uh, I, I would I would say you know the second thing is you know I, I I got an opportunity to come here and 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 work and you know you and I talked. My my strengths aren't necessarily in in writing you know I'm sure everybody who reads the articles that I've done can can understand that. Uh, it's more about connecting people. It's 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 more about. Um, trying to understand where people are coming from. And, and I've gotten the opportunity to tell many different stories, you know, stories of, of friends that I've come across from travels, like Sergio Dundali, uh, over in San Gimignano, who makes the world's best gelato. And uh, I met him, you know, uh, just at his gelateria, and we bonded. He literally took about 20 minutes just to talk to me, a random stranger who just wanted you know, to talk about Fiorentina. Uh, he took about 20 minutes to talk to me about it. Um, and, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I, I reached out to him and asked him to do uh, an interview, an article with our site. And, and he was gracious to do that. Um, you know, the same thing with, with people like the Viola Club in New York, who I've since joined. Uh, people over in, in, in Tokyo, people in Italy. Um, the network of Fiorentina is just vast. And I, I don't know if people understand just how vast it is and 
the amount of really good people that are out there. You know, I think you hit it uh, nail on the head as far as the Viola Nation. I, I think honestly now, um, under your guidance, we've been able to take Viola Nation and bring it into something that's reputable, respectful, and as well as, you know, recognized by the world fan base of, uh, uh, of the Fiorentina uh, fans, which I think gives a lot of our readers an opportunity to uh, relate better, you know, relate on social media, um, relate online, relate as they go and travel. Uh, and hopefully it gives people a talking point with other fans that they're meet, meeting over there. Um, but I'm definitely thankful for the fact that, you know, there, there is this sense of, of um, a family camaraderie amongst all the Fiorentina fans. And hopefully we're, we're allowing the English speaking uh, people to be part of that a little bit more. Uh, and, and I think that that's just a beautiful aspect of, of what we do each and every day. That's what I what I enjoy about uh, about our jobs here. Um, and then, you know, the last thing that I'll say is, uh, you know, Rocco Camiso has done a lot, you know, for Fiorentina. I know he gets, uh, and, and it was almost like I was saying, like in a, a somber way. And I was I was listening to myself as I was talking about his birthday. And it's not somber, you know. He has done a lot of really really great things uh, for the club. He has done a lot of really great things for our site. You know, he personally has been able to. Uh, get us access, which we've maintained um, uh, over the two years since he's been here, uh, you know, a year and a half, I guess. Um, but, you know, he understands that there is a bunch of great people at our site who read, who who communicate, who spend money on, on merchandise and, and want to become part of what's going on inside of the city, despite not living there. Uh, that's something to be valued in and of itself. Um, he has a great heart. I can tell you that from experience. Uh, I think everybody's heard him talk to our, you know, readers and our listeners on our podcast. Um, so they can probably take that away from, from what I'm saying here, but you know, I'm, I am really glad. I am very thankful that Rocco is the owner of the club. I'm really thankful that he's committed uh, to making this club great, despite some of the negativity. And we've seen that negativity with Chiesa's brother and the situation there. Now we're seeing it come out with certain situations with Beppe and, and, and Rocco. Um, I get it. You know, I think we all want the club to be performing better. I die every time the ball gets kicked off and, and things don't go the way that we want to, just like everybody else does. <laughs> but um you know, why not get behind somebody who wants to go to war with the same people we're going to war against? You know, why not embrace, love somebody who's, yeah, maybe he's going through some growing pains. Maybe he's learning. That's to be expected. You know, he owns a soccer club in New York that isn't in the MLS, who's not competing on, on the world stage the way that Fiorentina is but he's willing to do everything that it takes to get there. So I'm going to add my third person. My third reason for being thankful is as, uh, as Rocco Camiso and his continuous commitment towards Fiorentina excellence. It will pay off in the end. I know I read the, the posts. I respond to many of them. You, you know that I'm the eternal optimist. Uh, I do know that in the end, um, this is what will make us great again. That is a good three things to be thankful for and yeah 
man, uh, listening to you talk about your daughter, that that's special, man. That was really good. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You know, she's, uh, she's, she's part of all that we do at this point, you know? Uh, so she's been on the podcast before. (laughs) I've I've told the story on here before. I'm going to go back to it. I don't remember which episode it was that we recorded a few months ago, but it featured Mike holding and rocking a fussy baby to sleep while talking about, I think, the local politics around building a new stadium without missing a beat. And it is, it is one of the best dad moments I've ever seen in my life. And I think everyone needs to go ahead and uh, focus on that a little bit more too. Mike McCormack, dad of the year. (laughs) I wish I wish all I want to be is the best dad for the little girl. That's all I need to be. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For this next segment, we are responding to some audience questions. And to help us with that and break up the monotony of Mike and my voices, we have got a special guest reader in here to handle the questions for us. Lauren, hello. Hello. And so if you would be so kind as to start reading there and then Mike and I will answer. Sounds great. Right. Our first listener question comes from Jimmy Fabian. Um, Why do we, Fiorentina, suck? And what are your thoughts on how we can climb out of this mess? Mike, would you like to start that one or shall I? Oh, this one, this one's deep. All right. Why why do we suck? Um, (laughs) I guess we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go with the word suck. All right. So, so why do we suck? Uh, I I honestly think that it's a lot of different things. I I know that, um, um, the forward play has not been very good. I know that that's where a lot of people will focus. I really think the biggest issue that we have at times is our midfield play and the fact that our midfielders are playing too far back, not moving the ball, ball and advancing it forward, which doesn't allow our forwards to move into a position where they can be dangerous. I think our forwards are actually much better than, or I'm sorry, our our midfielders are much better than our forwards, which is why I expect more to come out of them as well. Uh, We knew coming into this season after not purchasing a forward that we would need to give them some time. They haven't gotten to where they need to be. So that might be a solution towards fixing it, getting somebody like a Millick. Um, The other thing that I'll say, which I don't think gets enough attention, um, I, I think that the media, in all honesty, is a big part of why we suck right now uh the fan base has also always been 
the the twelfth man on the field. Uh, and right now, the the fan base is not behind Fiorentina, which is unfortunate. And I do believe that the media is responsible for stoking a lot of made up stories of falsified information, which then gets the fans egged on into some of these changes that just were never out there and, and you know, w- willing to be had. Uh, I tried to temper a little bit of that based off of what I've heard, but things just kind of snowball. Um, so I think it is part the play between the midfield and the forwards, as well as the responsibility that should fall on the local media over in Florence towards creating, stoking uh, some of these rumors. Those are fair answers. I'm actually going to take a step farther back and say that the biggest problems are the culture at the club over the past five or 10 years has just been terrible. There's no winning mentality. There's no accountability for underperformance when you keep bringing the same people back to do the same jobs and you keep getting the same results, which are bad. To me, it it goes so far beyond the players or even the coach at this point. It's, it's just a, it's a basically a toxic environment. I think that needs someone to take a hatchet to most of it and just restart completely. And I think the biggest part of that is that there is no coherent vision of what the club is supposed to be. There's this idea that Fiorentina are a good team who should finish somewhere in the top, I don't know, what, from maybe ninth place to fifth place every year. But that's not really an identity. Like, is this a team that buys young players and helps them grow? Is it a team who puts everything into the academy? What's the what style of play are they highlighting? There's there's no there's no idea. Everyone's doing different things at every level of the organization. And to me, this is just chickens coming home to roost after ten years of running around with no idea what's happening, which is what chickens do anyways. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's pretty much it. Is it's it's way beyond what's on the field. Okay, next question comes from Hisanka. Um, how has Fiorentina's performance affected both Mike's and Tito's alcohol consumption? I can start wow. this. Poorly. <laughs> Real poorly, Hisanka. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, the alcohol does help numb uh, the emotions during the game as well as help to induce the sleeping after. So I, I would say that uh, while not medically prescribed, uh, you know, probably WebMD is not too far off from telling me I need to drink more. <laughs> uh, you've got healthcare professionals in your family. So, yeah, I buy it. Okay. Next question comes from, uh, also comes from Hisanka. What player from the last two seasons that is no longer at Fiorentina or on loan from Fiorentina would you bring back to the squad now? So, so does that mean if they're on loan accounts? So, like, I'm I'm gonna go with Ricky Sotil. Uh, I, can I can I give Ricky Sotil as the response? Yes. Does that count? Okay. Sotil is so all. I'm, I'm gonna go with response. Yeah. So for many reasons, I am going to go with Ricky Sotil. He is on loan. I would love to see 
uh, us break the loan, pay that out in December and bring him back. Because I think that actually one of the biggest weaknesses that we have right now is the wings. We play too narrow. We're not getting forward enough. Uh, and you know what breaks that speed. So we need speed on the wings. Uh, and let's be honest, he's killing it right now. Like who wouldn't want to have him back? So Ricky. I second that. I think the other one that nobody wants to hear is Federico Chiesa, obviously, because he's really good and he would excel probably under Prandelli in this system, being allowed to work as a winger in a 4-2-3-1, which I think is probably his best role. But because that's not really emotionally going to cut it, I think that, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, go with, I'll go with Ricky as well. Uh, I'm just glad you didn't say Rashid gets all. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to cut it. I don't think that's going to cut it. Oh, oh, shoot. Sorry. Yeah, we skipped this. Yeah. Okay. We messed this up. We're going back. Sorry. We're going back in time. Okay, Lauren, back to you. <laughs> um. So another question from Jimmy Fabian. What makes Thanksgiving special to you? Okay. I'll, I'll well, go. Lauren, I'll go. And I'm just going to say this, Lauren. I, I think we told you that we would mess it up before you did. So, so there you go. <laughs> if we're, we're definitely right about being wrong consistently. Yep. Uh, go ahead, and, yeah, Thanksgiving uh, for me, it used to be a family thing. We would get the whole family together and we would have family, friends, big meal. Now that my family is not, living in the same places or anything. That's not the case as much. So for me, I think what makes Thanksgiving special is that we have our own traditions now as a very small family of two. And those traditions are eating pizza and watching John Wick. And it's awesome. And I really like both of those things. <laughs> you know, honestly, this year I would have taken that. Uh, so, you know, maybe one of these years, uh, you'll, you'll give me an invitation and we can have a three. Um, you know, Thanksgiving is uh, my favorite day of the year. Ever since I've been, you know, a kid, I've gone to my uncle's house. Um, my uncle's, even before I was born, has done Thanksgiving at his house. So, you know, uh, 40 years, 40 some years, maybe at this point. This is the first time that he has not had it, you know, obviously COVID related, um, you know, so it, it did require a lot of change. And it's one of those things where not only did we not get to get together as a big family, typically we have 20 to 40 people, depending on who can go. Um, but we weren't able to get together as, you know, just, you know, my brother, my two brothers, my mom, my grandmother, as a result of my grandmother being um, very, very old. So, you know, we're trying to do the responsible thing, as, as I know a lot of people out there are trying to do as well. Uh, and we stayed away from her, you know, so we did the whole Zoom thing. Um, made me wish if I can do the whole, you know, back in time, I want to hear you do the do, 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 do thing. I'd like to go back and buy Zoom stock. Uh, that's exactly what I would do. And then I would retire and then probably pick this up full time doing Good Antina podcast. Okay. Um, our third question from Jimmy. If you went into Hot Topic to buy a pop vinyl of a Fiorentina player, which would you want to buy? So 
full disclosure, I had to Google what a pop vinyl is before this because I am just slow culturally, let's say. And it's a also known as a Funko Pop for listeners who aren't familiar. And it's a little uh, sort of cute, chibi style doll, generally of like a famous pop cultural figure. And so I think if I were to get one of those, which I probably wouldn't, I'm not a big collector of things like that. I live in a not enormous apartment, so there's not a whole lot of space for that. Uh, I thought about this actually a little bit, and I came down on maybe Gaetano Castrovilli, maybe Christian Kuame, but the only answer for me is Lorenzo Venuti, because he's basically like a cute little Funko Pop anyways, and I love the man. All right, well, I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. Uh, I will go with uh, one of two options that probably everybody was expecting. Um, sentimentally, I would probably go with Borja. But as far as um, uh, the answer to this question, I'm going to go with Vlahovic. And, and this is not meant to be a slight. It's meant to actually just be what it is. I thought that these were just like a modern-day bobblehead thing. Uh, and I figured that if we went with Vlahovic, maybe he could actually figure out how to use his head to get a ball in the net with this toy. So again, not meant as a slight. I mean, it actually as I, I hope he learns how to use his head by using a bobblehead like this to head the ball into the net. I really like that. And, and of course, you're going to pick your large adult son. So that, that makes a certain yeah, I love him. No slight. No slight. I love the guy. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> now we're back to Hisanka's questions. Uh, who is your favorite player? Uh, I got two. Um, long-term, Borja Valero is, is my all-time favorite player. Uh, I got a chance to meet him last year in December at the Inter Milan when he scored against us. He didn't celebrate. He walked away. Uh, and ironically, the one who came back and scored the uh, game tying goal was my other favorite, Dusan Vlahovic. So it's it's those two together. Um, one may have the better career out of the two, but I'm still hoping that Vlahovic can put it together. Uh, for me, I think favorite Fiorentina player ever is got to be Adrian Mutu, just for the sheer majestic beauty of the man. Uh, Strong runner-up, of course, is Massimo Gobi, for reasons the heart has its own reasons. Uh, Nobody the, understands. No, no one understands. No, I wish. I wish. Sorry, Lauren. Uh, out of the current squad, <laughs> uh, out of the current squad, I would say it's probably Nikola Milenkovic because he's really good and I like watching him play, or Lorenzo Venuti because he always just looks so happy to be on the team. And I find him just incredibly pleasing. Okay, next question is, why isn't it Montiel? <laughs> uh, so Hisanka's setting traps for us now. Excellent. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, I, I, for me, I think the answer is that he is simply far too small. Uh, I'm with you. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of the news that comes out of uh, Florence and Fiorentina is he's somebody who needs to grow. Clearly, he has the ability. Clearly, he has the desire. Uh, I think we all just want to see him put on some pounds. 
he he looks like a 14 year old and i i know that he's a grown man he's 20 years old i showed you the picture of him <laughs> and he's the one who actually looks he looks like a teenager i i work at a school so i see a lot of kids every day and he looks like he could be one of my students yeah <clears throat> Okay, next question is, if you had known Blahovic would have been so counterproductive, would you sell him to Lipsig? Yes, I'll answer the question. Um, the answer is yes. Uh, I will say that if we could go back in time and get 25 million euros out of Blahovic, I would take it despite being that I love the guy. Um, but the answer has to be yes. Wow. That is absolutely shocking, and his that revelation has driven whatever answer I had out of my head entirely. I cannot believe you. Holy smokes! It hurt me. It hurt me. It hurt me a lot. Holy smokes! I, I hope that I hope that that is what it takes to get him to prove me wrong. His biggest supporter. Yikes! Y'all are going to have to have like a serious father-son conversation. <laughs> All right. Okay, next question is, what is the best goal scored by Fiorentina so far in the season? Uh, I've got probably two answers for this one. I think my first place is that, again, sorry, everybody, it's that Chiesa goal against Inter, the one where uh, Ribery played that incredible weighted pass through about four defenders, and then Fede dinked it over. Andanovic, that was just such an incredible goal by itself in terms of construction and athleticism. And it also gave Fiorentina the lead against Inter, which was so cool. Obviously didn't last, but it was really, really special there for a sec. Uh, Runner-up, I'm going to go Castrovilli's uh, ridiculous curler in the Serie A game against Udinese, where he somehow dug it out from under his feet and put it in the very, very top corner with a man right on him. I still don't know how you can kick a ball and make it follow that trajectory. That blew my mind. I'm going to go with uh, the best goals of the season would have been the goals that came against Parma and Spezia to allow us to win. So the best goals of the season never happens, but should have happened. <laughs> oh, yikes. Okay, next question is, how far do you reckon Fiorentina Femenia? Femenile. Femenile. <laughs> <laughs> <Just do it. laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get it in post. How far do you reckon Fiorentina Femenia <laughs> would go in the Champions League? <laughs> I need to practice before you do this on time. <laughs> In fairness, Italian isn't really your strong suit. Uh, you could just say Fiorentina women. I, I, I guess, yeah, but the team, the team name is technically Fiorentina Femminile, so like, you know. This year it is. Yeah. <laughs> excuses for my ignorance. <laughs> uh, me personally, I'm going to pour another glass of wine. All right, well, while you're doing that, I'll I'll get to the question. Uh, I, I think that they've got a fairly good shot to make it to the round of 16 this year. Uh, I, I think that they can get by Prague. 
I mean, that obviously a really good team, but with respect, not like drawing Arsenal in the Four round of 32, which happened last year. I think that this one is a winnable fixture. And then after that, I think that would be the farthest the club's ever gotten, I think, in the tournament. And so anything past that is gravy, which after Thanksgiving is something that makes me feel a little bit ill. <laughs> you had pizza, I thought. Oh, we, we did a uh, like a more traditional Thanksgiving meal last night. It's 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 a multi okay. Yeah, it's a multi-stage here. <laughs> you failed to mention that. So now I was just wondering if you put gravy on top of your pizza, which which then just threw me for a loop. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, oh no. Oh, no. You know, uh, I agree with you. I, I think that uh, this is probably the best draw that Fiorentina could have hoped for after drawing Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, great situation. Also taking into consideration Juve did not have a good draw. So um, those two things going together make our situation better. Uh, I think it's probably a one and done, in all honesty, knowing just the depth uh, as well as the disparity of teams inside of European women's football. Uh, I think it's going to be more interesting to see what team shows up to play uh, in that game how well we perform, because that's going to be more indicative of how well we finish towards competing for the Champions League next year. And we have a lot of catch-up that we need to do after dropping some points uh, in the league so far this year. Okay, next question is, why isn't Dimo Krastev in the first team yet? Listen, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, it's not tough to answer. I mean, that's tough for him to do this year. Um, I mean, yes, we are bad, uh, but let's let's be honest. Uh, it, it's not like the Primavera's lighting the world on fire. Well, they weren't lighting the world on fire before the season was delayed, canceled, postponed um, at this point. Um, I think that he is one of the best talents that we have inside of the club. I think that we've been very fortunate to be able to get him and bring him in. Uh, we did the conversation um, with Aquilani, and he was very complimentary of him. And uh, I think knowing all of that, uh, you should look for this kid to probably go on loan next year and then come back, hopefully to compete for a spot afterwards. But you know, let's not try to, to jump these kids too far too fast. Let's let them advance at a rate that's going to be beneficiary to them as well as us. If he can do more than going on loan next year and he can actually come in and compete for time in the first team, great. But let's at least set proper expectations. I'd also add that Fiorentina has so many midfielders right now that they can't even get all of them on the field. Adding another one and just having him sit on the bench doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose. And finally, let's not forget that Dimo Krastev, despite being built like a grown-ass man, uh, is, for the first time in his life, old enough to go into an R-rated movie without parental consent. He's 17. Like, let's tone it down a hair. He's, he's worried about what's going to happen, how he can go watch Showgirl, Showgirls now. So he's good. Oh, boy. We're, we're dating ourselves here. So, uh... <laughs> 
Oh, on that note, uh, <laughs> the last question from Hisanka is, where is the B Club? This is a question that Hisanka has asked for at least a year. Um, you're going to probably be asking it for another year. The, the answer is, there's just so many other priorities at the club right now. Performance of the club, uh, the staff, you know, the, the coach is Prade, the right person to be there. Uh, stadium, Centro Sportivo switching kits. I, I mean, I don't know how much further we need to go. The honest answer is there's there's just not enough time to fit that in. Other priorities, that will come as Rocco, Joe Barone sort through these first initiatives. Ditto. Patrick Swayze in Ghost. <laughs> uh, I didn't know you could see my pottery wheel in here. Listen, if you if you see what I see right now in front of me, there is the light. So so your camera is reflecting off of your step stool and it looks like the light with Patrick Swayze. Now, let, let's not get too far into the layout of the bunker here. We got to maintain a little bit of safety. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Bono. Okay, next question comes from Buono93. If Fiorentina had an arm wrestling tournament, who on the squad would be the champion? I think it's Igor. He's Thanos. He's large and he's purple and he's just really thick. He is inevitable. So as somebody who's 6'1", uh, who's played football, I never did on, uh, arm wrestling, I understand the concept of leverage and, and when you get into a situation with this, you know, the fulcrum and all that type of, of thing that's going on. That's a big guy. You know, I agree. He's probably the most chiseled out there, but when you're starting to take into consideration how much he needs to move it down versus somebody who's maybe a little bit shorter, um, has to be Tofu Montiel. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, also, yeah, I'll go over the top. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, next question comes from Gabby B. Who do you want to sit next to in an 18-hour flight to Australia right now? Rocco Camiso, Cesar Prand... Cesare Prandelli. Oh, my God. Are you really going to make me say this question? Cesare Prandelli. Cesare Prandelli. Dusan Plavovic. Dusan Plavovic. Gabriel Battistuta. Gabriel Battistuta. Giancarlo Antonioni. Giancarlo Antonioni or Snoop Dogg. Yes, you are flying economy class. Mike, would you like to uh, handle this one? Yeah, all right. So this is this is a very tricky question. Uh, very good question. First of all, Rocco doesn't fly economy, and uh, I, I, I've told Rocco that if he ever has a spot available on his private jet, I'm happy. My bags are packed; they're already in my car. I'm flying over with him as he's going over. You know, so then you go through the rest of the list, knowing that you're not going to catch Rocco Camiso on economy. Uh, you're probably not going to catch any of these people on economy, but, you know, so let's let's just figure it out. With, with Bati Stuta's medical issues, I, I doubt he's going to be sitting in the middle. Like, he needs to stretch his legs out, so he's sitting in the aisle. I'm a big guy. I need the aisle seat. So I, I can't literally sit next to him in the middle seat of a plane while he's the one who's who's just sprawled out. While that would probably be the most interesting choice, I can't make it. <laughs> Same thing with Vlahovic. You know, so Vlahovic is bigger than me. He is younger, but you know, am I going to push him out of the seat 
very unlikely. So then now that brings us down to a final three of Cesare Prandelli, Antignoni, and Snoop Dogg. Well, Snoop Dogg's probably going to be asleep because he's high. That might be the best choice out of all of them, to be completely honest, because like I can just bump into him, spread out. I can take his food. I can be like, yeah, he wants a Jack and Coke, but take his Jack and Coke, even though he's paying for it. And then, you know, just make them, you know, wave for it and, and it's all good. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Antonioni doesn't speak any English, uh, which does scare me. I'm learning Italian as we're going along. I'm going to go with the guy that uh, I started watching Fiorentina football with. Long way of saying I'm going to go with Cesare. Uh, I'm hoping his Italian is better than, than Antonioni's. I'm hoping that uh, we can talk about how I started watching Fiorentina, the the glory days for me. Um, and, and then also, like, maybe give a couple pointers on, you know, pushing Prade out, bringing in, you know, some new director of sport, who they need to go purchase, uh, and, you know, see if we can get an interview for the site. I think that that's my approach here. How about you, Bob? I went through actually a fairly similar process of elimination, except as someone who is also fairly large and has on small flights been asked to switch seats to uh, make sure that the balance of the plane remains correct. I think I would go with Prandelli as well, because I think he's the smallest out of all of these guys. Like he's a fairly slender man. He's listed as five foot eight and he might be a little bit shorter. Uh, Rock, yeah, Rocco is also short, but he's not small. And then uh, Antonioni, because he's older, you worry that he might need to get up and stretch out a whole lot. Batistuta, tall guy, also with his feet. Vlaovic is just enormous. And then Snoop Dogg is also about six foot three, I think. So you got to mm. worry about some some lanky spreading there. So to me, it's Prandelli for sure. And I feel like he'd be the kind of guy who's like very polite, and you can like nod to him when you sit down and then he's going to sleep for most of the flight and not really bother you. So for me, but wouldn't you want to talk to him? Come on. You, you know that you're getting some talk time in there. I is someone who just despises flying. I just want to like sit and read a book or watch a movie and get it over with. And really? Absolutely. Yeah. I hate being on planes, man. So for All me, right, well, there goes your opportunity. Yeah, you know, for me, it's purely a matter of like, how can you get from A to B as painlessly as possible? And I don't, I don't sleep on planes, so it means reading books and watching movies. And I feel like Prandelli would be the best possible seatmate for that. All right. Okay. Our next question comes from TJW Go Blue. Construct your perfect Tuscan Thanksgiving meal. I, I don't know what is wrong with Thanksgiving meal as it is right now. Uh, I think if we're going to take Thanksgiving and bring it to Tuscany, I think that it should be just as it is. Um, that said, uh, boar meat, if I'm changing it, boar meat has to be part of it uh, inside of a nice pasta. Um, I did kind of get diagnosed with, with uh, um, celiac disease, which makes it a little bit 
difficult to eat some pasta these days, but uh, oh. I would definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, oh. it's going to be troubling. Yeah, 2020. Thank you. Um, uh, I would definitely go through what I'll have to go through for uh, some nice board pasta, uh, board meat pasta right now. So I took a slightly different approach and wrote out an entire menu here in my notes. So I think what I would want to start with is a uh, bottle of Lambrusco and some crostini. Uh, move on to a ribolita with, you know, the bean soup. Uh, oh, love it. Do the pappardelle al cinghiale, al cinghiale the wild boar. Mm-hmm. Ragu- mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. okay, mind meld. Uh, probably get the move to the bisteca after that, because I mean, if you're in Florence, and especially in the autumn. After that? Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't. I... There's a reason that I need a lot of space on a plane seat, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and finish up with the torta della nona and a little bit of Vinsanto and uh, splashed throughout there just a whole bunch of Chianti and Brunello. And, and no more food? That's it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, maintain my waspish physique all right all right wow i mean most people that i know by the time they get to the bistecca that's all they're eating but that was i think your third out of fifth meal (laughs) i mean if you're gonna do it you may as well go big right (laughs) you are i don't know what you're thankful for but you are uber thankful yeah yeah got a yeah (laughs) Yeah, mostly for this tapeworm, am I thankful? Uh, <laughs> well, at least you fit the Brunello in there. So I, I will have at least one, maybe two, of of your uh, your portions, and um, I'll have a Brunello. That I'll checks out. <laughs> yep. All right, our next question comes from S. Presha. Who do you think would, who do you think will finish the season as the top scorer, both for La Viola and in Serie A? Uh, I'll start this one off. I think for Serie A, I've got my money on Lukaku because he's really, really, really good, and the, I don't think that Ibrahimovic is going to keep up his pace, and he's also going to get hurt because he's you know older than either one of us. Uh, and I think that Lukaku is probably best positioned to be the be the next man up. Uh, for Fiorentina, that's a little bit trickier. I mean, besides the obvious answer of uh, Montiel, I think that Pulgar, probably from the spot, is going to score a bunch of penalties again, hopefully. Uh, and after that, I'll say Christian Kwame, if he gets a little bit of form, Hopefully he can put away something like nine or so over the rest of the over the rest of the season, and I think you do have to uh, leave space for the wild card for someone who comes in January to score a bunch of goals as well. So that, that's where I'm at. Where are you at, Mike? Uh, I'm going to join you with Lukaku. I have a lot of friends who are inner fans, and uh, we've kind of made a pact to uh, cheer for each other's team. And uh, I, I do like Inter as far as a lot of the players on there. Uh, Martinez, I, I love that kid. Why they would sell him to Barca and why they're rumored to potentially sell him to Juve makes absolutely no sense to me. I think he's the future of that club, but right now it is Lukaku. So I would like to see 
Lukaku has been through a lot of stuff over the years, uh, a lot of negativity to uh, continue his success with Inter. Um, Ibrahimovic, right now he is injured. Hopefully he's going to be injured uh, for tomorrow still. Uh, but we know that he's a, uh, he's a miracle patient, so we never really know. Um, but we'll see. Uh, as far as Fiorentina, it, it's so hard to figure that out. I, I think that if we moved um, Castrovilli into more of that attacking midfield, messy kind of false nine role, that would be the obvious answer. But right now we're keeping him in that midfield role. Uh, where I don't think he's best suited for, and I don't think he best suits the club. Uh, so where do the goals come from? And as of right now, the first one to five, you know, maybe the the, the top goal scorer, scorer. We'll have to see. Um, so if it's not Castrovilli, it actually may be somebody who comes in uh, in January, whether that's going to be Milik um, or somebody else. I think that that may end up being the person who has uh, the title at the end of the year for us, if it's not Castrovilli. Okay. <clears throat> Our next series of questions comes from Drew T. What's your prediction for the January window? Who stays? Who goes? What players do you think come in? I'll, I'll jump into this one, too. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of movement in the Mercado this winter for a number of reasons. One, Prandelli is not a long-term coach, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to buy a bunch of players for a guy who's going to step down at the end of the year, most likely. Uh, I think that you're going to see guys like Valentina Sarek and maybe Ricky Sapanara move out. Uh, you might see a winger or two come in as well, just to sort of round out the squad a little bit. But I, I don't think there's going to be very much going on for Fiorentina, although I could be totally off base here. Prade has definitely zigged when we thought he would zag before. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Well, I, I think it does lie within the whole Prade connection. Uh, first and foremost, is Prade going to be there by the time that we get to January? I'm not convinced that Prade will be there by the time we get to January, especially if we have a few more draws and losses. I think the shine is going to come off that it was Bete's issue, and it's more systemic. The players just don't play well together. I don't know what system they all fit in. It's just that we bought players and we hoped that they would do well, and they haven't. A lot of the players that were purchased are on the bench. Nobody's increased in value. The biggest value players that we have are previous regime players, and that doesn't show well for not only Prade, but also for Rocco. Uh, and I think that while a lot of the media and a lot of the fans focused on Beppe as the scapegoat, I think Rocco is eventually going to see that that was not necessarily the issue. And there's going to be some resentment because Rocco definitely had a very positive relationship with Beppe. He liked them, genuine, genuine like and, and interest in each other. So once we get to that point, uh, I think the next step is, does Rocco want to comply with financial fair play? We know, and I've said it before, we can't spend the Chiesa money until June of the summer, 2021. We're now 20, so 21 uh, at the earliest. Just the way that the rules play out. So is Rocco willing to put 
50 million euros and go against financial fair play, knowing that all the people who went against financial fair play never really got caught anyway. Like, you know, just be like, hey, well, AC Milan did it, you know, and then don't, don't matter. I'm covering it. We're not in debt. We're fine, uh, which I think may end up being the case. So I would not be surprised to see Rocco because of the scrutiny, the level of, and he wants to be liked, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, the one thing that I do take away from Rocco is, is he enjoys the admonishment of, of all of the fans. And I think he wants more of that. He misses it. You know, he, he kind of almost operates on that from, from time to time. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him put 50 million euros into January. I just hope that it's not Prade who's spending that 50 million because that's money that goes out the door again. As you mentioned, Prandelli is most likely not going to be the person coaching the team next year. Prandelli's most likely taking a step back. He's going to be moving into Virginia's role, uh, which was not replaced, uh, and taking over uh, managing the youth programs. And uh, I think that that fits very well for Prandelli. Prandelli wants to, and he's talked about it. He lives in Florence. He lives in Tuscany. He wants to stay there. Like his family's very happy. He wants to have that retirement lifestyle. Um, and, and it provides a, a great opportunity for him there. So who comes in next? I think that they probably have that figured out already. Uh, so based off of who's coming in next, if they're spending 50 million, they spend it for that system, not the system that we have in place today. Because guess what? There is no system. We have no players that fit any system. So here we are. Okay, next question. The forwards, what's going on with them? Uh, they're not scoring very much, I think. And that's that's not good, is my expert analysis there. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I have a personal attachment to Vlahovic, and uh, I think a lot of our readers know that and, and see it as it plays out. Um, my personal and, and objective opinion is what I stated earlier. I do believe that our midfield is not playing well enough to allow for our young forwards to move forward and get into the box and play the ball as they should. How many times do we see people playing with the ball back uh, to the net, having to get, go, you know, to go up against very physical older men um, on the back line? When you're 19, 20, 21, that's not what you should be doing. So we need better coaching. We need better play out of uh, the midfield if we're going to ask our forwards to be better right now. Uh, other than that, we need to then go out and buy somebody that will be better. You know, will Milik give up on his, Euro, uh, his English stream and come and accept a transfer into, uh, into Florence? I'd love for that to happen. Uh, he seems to be the the player that we would need. He can play both, uh, you know, facing as well as back towards the goal, uh, which seems to be the way that right now we're kind of limping up the field uh, as such. So you might as well go with a guy like him. Okay, next question. What's the go with Pedro? Is that supposed to run? I kind of like it better, Riving. Um, all right. You got anything on Pedro right now? Yeah, I mean, all, all accounts are that, that they're trying to purchase him. Uh, it sounds like uh, there's going to be a multi-year um, payment, which is going against what we heard in the past. 
So I, I do go back to Daniele Prade. Is Prade going to be willing to renegotiate the payment terms based off of what's going on, which I wouldn't like. I mean, Pedro actually now has his value going back up. Uh, if that is the case, go sell him somewhere in Europe for 16, 18 million euros versus 14. Um, but I do expect him to be sold. I don't expect him coming back into Florence. If anybody is holding on to that, we know who you are. Give up that dream. He won't be. I'd second that. I think that whole deal, there's a lot more going on there than just Fiorentina buying a player. There's all kinds of weird, hinky stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I've heard a lot about him being used as a make weight and a swap deal for other strikers, which I can see happening. So, yeah, I mean, he's doing really well. And even if he did come back and play in Italy, let's not pretend like Brazilian strikers moving straight to Italy have always succeeded. Like guys who do well in Brazil doesn't always translate. Uh, look at Robinho. Look at Gabigol, who is currently tearing it up as the star man with Pedro right now. It, it doesn't always work. So I, I think, first of all, just assuming that Pedro is the the answer to all of our problems and prayers is a little bit unlikely. And also that there's just all kinds of weird machinations keeping him from ever winding up in Florence well, it, or anything. And, and the honest part is, is that, that as a fan, it's very self-centered. Um, why would Pedro want to come back to Florence? That's the other aspect of it. Even if we wanted to bring him back, why would he want to come back here where he didn't have the best experience to begin with? Yeah, that is also a very valid point, and I think that's probably worth considering. Okay, next question. Montiel looked good in his brief cameo against Udinese. Do you think he's going to get some playing time? I do, actually. I think that there are so few wingers or people who are capable of playing on the wing on the roster right now that he pretty much has to. I mean, for guys who are wingers on the current squad who are eligible to play in Serie A. You have Frank Ribery, who is 37 years old and has a lengthy injury history. He hasn't had a fully healthy season since 2012 or something, so you can't count on him for too much. Uh, Jose Callejon, also an injury history, and he's 33. And so counting on him to play every minute probably not realistic. And after that, there's no other real wingers. Uh, Jack Bonaventura can do a job out there. Chris Kwame can kind of play on the wing a little bit. Uh, Castrovilli can sort of kind of play on the wing a little bit. Paul Larola can theoretically play on the wing a little bit, although practically I don't see it at all. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, Valentino Serik is not registered with the Serie A squad, and also, God love him. He looks like he's in shape that's about as good as me. So, yeah, I think that Tofel Montiel has a great chance to come off the bench and pile up some minutes this year. Yeah, we won't talk about it, I Um I, I agree. Uh, not only do I think that he should, or he could, I think that he should. We, we've, I've talked about what's come out of Florence, what's come out of Fiorentina as far as he needs to develop his body, and he hasn't. That's been the case not only in Florence, but also where he's gone on, uh, where he's been on loan. Uh, he needs that time. But he is a gamer. Like, that's the important part. We're missing gamers. Like, 
what happened to the people who just all of a sudden went out and balled their hearts out for the club? That's missing right now, and we need that. Montiel, when he went on there, he balled his heart out. Uh, and it wasn't just in the first few minutes when he scored that goal. Like, even afterwards, he continued to ball his heart out. And we need players like that in my mind. I, I don't know if necessarily he'll be the the ultimate solution, you know, for what we need to have moving forward. But I think that he's definitely one of the options that we have to evaluate. And if we don't, then it is reckless. Uh, doesn't matter if it's not a Prade signing or if it is, like, give people the opportunity to to get some wins, get people an opportunity to give the fans some excitement. And uh, let's be honest, Hasanka is going to love this question. Yeah, but, uh, Drew T and Hasanka doing some nice synergy there. Very good. Okay, our last question from Drew T is, a double pivot um, of Amramabat and Polgar would work really well. Do you think Castrovelli would be capable of playing as a classic 10 behind the forward? Mike, you want to, you want to start this one? I, I think honestly, the more that we can get Castrovilli moving up the field and away from the responsibilities of having to dribble the ball from our back line up to midfield. And then, uh, you know, maybe, 10 times a game from the midfields forward uh, is a better situation. We need to get our team playing more, more, more advanced in, in the field. Um, I think that Amrabat and Polgar have shown a good synergy together. Uh, same thing with Duncan. I think that at times Duncan has shown an, uh, a good synergy with Amrabat. I, I think that we have players that should be playing together. Uh, I, I know none of these are named Bonaventura, but I think that that's for a reason. I think that Bonaventura is a excellent super sub and that's the way that he should be. Like when we're looking for a goal, when it's tied two two with the 75th minute, that's when you bring Bonaventura on, who's going to go, you know, ball and all out to get that final goal. But, you know, for the first 75 minutes, I, I do like this um, as an option, but it's really an option to evaluate more importantly, I think that we need to allow Castrovilli to evolve. Uh, we're going to have to disagree on this one a little bit then. I don't like him as a traditional 10, honestly. I think a lot of his value is his ability to carry the ball through the lines from those deeper positions uh, where, where he's generally not getting pressed as hard, where there's not as not as many defenders packed in. I don't think that he's got the passing range to really be that creative spark as a 10 right now. I, I think he could develop it for sure, but right now, not as much. Uh, I also don't think his movement off the ball is good enough to work as a 10. Uh, again, that might just be a function of his role for the past year and a half in this club. And I remember watching him at Cremona a few times when he played on the wing and is more of a, more of a traditional 10. I mean, you know, the new Cassano, all that, business which is not even close to accurate I don't think uh so he, he has that experience but I don't I don't really see it right now I mean maybe you stick him up there for the remainder of the year and he grows into it he's obviously an outrageously talented player and I'm sure he could evolve into that but right now I'm I'm skeptical especially with I think a few better options for that job 
I like him playing a little bit deeper than a than a traditional ten, with a lot of freedom, but still definitely as a central midfielder. I want to get him forward. I'm I'm not going to fight you on this one. And, and and I think you make a lot of great points. I, I I just think that he is right now our top goal scorer. I think that he has a, a knack for being around the ball when it's dropped, when it's ricocheting. Uh, I think he has a knack for putting it in the net. The more that he gets forward, the less responsibility he has to advance it, the better. You know, is that the ultimate role for him? I don't know. Um, but it, I think that as a young kid, that's also uh, developing skill sets that he doesn't have just yet. And that's one of the things that I think has impressed me the most is when he's put in situations that maybe aren't the most natural, he has been able to acclimate and um, um you know, skill up pretty quickly. So what's, what's the harm? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Harm? I guess it's a short-term benefits versus long-term benefits thing. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. This one, this one, I won't fight you either, but this time, because we're in agreement. This next question comes from Jay Pradana. What food would you suggest for Montiel to gain some weight as fast and as delicious as possible? Uh, I'm just literally going to take every single night the menu that Tito outlines <laughs> for his Thanksgiving dinner. And that has to be a, like, I don't know, 6,500 calories in, in one sitting. Uh, I'm going to, that, that has to be it. So right now Tito is in charge of uh, the nourishment for Montiel. I'm actually going to go a slightly different direction. So when I was in high school and college and trying to gain weight to play American football, uh, part of the way you do that is you eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You eat about five of those a day and you get much, much bigger real quick. It's just a perfect mix of all the stuff you need to put on weight. However, because this is Florence, I think we should edit that just a little bit and make it a peanut butter and Lampredotto sandwich. So I vote we give him at least three or four peanut butter and Lampredotto sandwiches a day. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. I, I, I'm just going to stop at wow. Uh, <laughs> but wait, one more. Wow. You don't have to say anything else, Mike. You said it with your eyes. Our next series of questions comes, comes from Capo811. Have your expectations from the Camiso era changed since it began? If so, how? Uh, you know, my ex my expectations have not necessarily changed. Um, my expectations when I first met with Rocco a year and a couple months ago was that we compete for Europe. Um, I still think that that has to be the expectations that we have coming into every year because that's where the money comes from. Do we expect to compete for Silverware? No. Uh, and, and I'm just going to say that blatantly. Um, do I think that we should be always fighting relegation either? No, absolutely not. And I know that we did last year, and I know that some people feel that we're going to be doing that again this year. Um, I'm hoping, though, again, these are expectations that Rock will be able to fix that, and we can once again turn our attention towards Europe, which is the uh, initial expectations I have. 
I'm with you. I think my expectations remain about unchanged. I expected an eventual European push, but I think I also, even when Rocco first bought the team, I mean, this team is just kind of flawed deeply in every possible way. Like the, the, the way that it's been designed for years, the team culture around, like not just on the field, but in the boardrooms in the office everywhere is bad. And that takes a lot of time to change. Uh, yeah, beyond that, I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah, it's always been a multi-year process, I guess. I didn't think it would be quite this bad, but also in a lot of ways, I'm sort of pleased with how Rocco has handled the adversity here and that he has not pulled a Zamparini and gone in and tried to coach the team himself or switched up too many things that he is trying to provide a stable platform to build on. I don't frankly think he's chosen all the right people to, to do that building, but the fact that he is not in in the office every day, firing people, hiring people, just off the cuff, I think speaks really, really well about the long-term prospects. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that as well. So yeah, in general, expectations pretty much unchanged. Uh, you know, a few unfortunate choices, but that, you know, you run into speed bumps with a huge new project like this. And I don't think that's surprising. Okay, next question. Who do you expect to take the Scudetto this year, assuming Pandrelli does not succeed in miraculously creating a Super Fiorentina, embarking on a historic win streak? Well, I am assuming. That would be nice. I am assuming yeah, that would Fiorentina nice. win the Scudetto, for sure. Absolutely book it. Uh, I, I think it's probably going to be Inter right now, especially after Juve failed to beat Benevento today, which is... It makes my heart sing. Uh, I, I think Inter is probably best positioned. They've got a veteran team. Antonio Conte is very, very good at winning in Serie A. Uh, Juve under Pirlo are still trying to figure stuff out. I don't think that Milan are going to sustain. We've never really seen Stefano Pioli not get figured out in year two, I feel like. Fiorentina fans are probably familiar with that. And then I don't think that uh, Roma or Atalanta or Lazio have enough in the locker. Uh, Napoli, I don't trust Gattuso enough to make any changes that might need to come up. So for me, it's pretty much Inter by default. Yeah, I think that this is actually a pretty interesting year. Um, Juve should be based off of the talent that they have. But now you're starting to hear a lot of Cristiano Ronaldo leaving in January. Oh, you uh, a lot of the to see it. <laughs> I, I I like seeing all of the turmoil that's going on both with Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus. Uh you know, so it sounds like financially they're in some some distress. A uh, lot of money that's going just washed right out the door over the years paying his salary and some of the transfer uh, windows that they've had. Uh, good for them. Um we all hate them. Um you know, I, I think it's interesting that you said Inter. I'm not a Conti fan. I think, honestly, had Inter lost, you know, a couple more games at the beginning of the year and they forced Conte out, that would actually be a better situation for them. Um, so, 
I, I'm kind of, you know, torn there because that's who I would like to see, knowing who's at the top right now. I will say this. I'm, I'm not the biggest AC Milan fan. Uh, I, I respect what they do. You know, we don't have necessarily any issues except for the whole Ante Revic situation, which to hell with them at this point. That's a situation. Um, that is the situation. And uh, as I said, to hell with them. Um, Lauren, you can ask them later. Uh, <laughs> you know, I actually like their team almost the most uh, as far as what can potentially be set up for the future. They have a lot of young players that they can, they either have right now or they can purchase uh, uh, that they have loaned out right uh, this year at the end of the year, they can purchase. I like a lot of the way that they're set up for the future. I don't think that they're going to win it this year, but I do like the, the, the makeup of that team over the next three, four, five years. If they keep that nucleus together and find somebody to replace um, Ibrahimovic. Inter always seems to have some type of issues. And right now I believe it's Conti, but can they win it this year? That probably is, is in my opinion, the only team that can, pull it away from Juve but my fear is nobody does that they all fumble it again and, and Juve wins it for what the ninth tenth year in a row uh running out of fingers after yeah Wacker. I I have two yeah. for them I have, I have two fingers for them <laughs> most excellent yeah no, I, I think that's also a pretty believable thing just the talent of that club wins out but yeah I'm I'm hoping it's in Terran that Conte throws enough hair dryers at people to where they get scared <laughs> and decide to win. Okay, last question from Capo eight one one. Outside of Firenze, what are your favorite Italian cities and or teams? Uh, as far as teams, I do like Inter. Uh, I have a lot of friends who uh, live near me who help uh, with me trying to speak Italian a little bit more and more. Bounce some ideas off of. Um, and they're all Inter fans. And to be honest, none of them are obnoxious. So for that, that point alone, uh, I'll have to go with, uh, with Inter. Uh, as far as cities, I will be very upfront and honest. My exposure to Italy is just Tuscany. I've been there many, many times, but it has all been in Florence and Tuscany. So I've never been to Roma. I, I would say that Roma would be the next city I would like to go to. I've never been to any of the islands. Um, I don't want to go to um, several of the, you know, Venice. I don't want to go there. I don't have an interest. My wife wants to, but I'll, I'll throw out San Gimignano, where Sergio Dondoli is, uh, is probably my next favorite. I do enjoy Siena. Um, but if you go a little bit further from that to Volterra, Volterra is quite uh, possibly one of the most interesting. It's an Etruscan city, town, uh, one of the most interesting uh, places in the world as far as how it's perched up on top, of a, uh, uh, on top of a mountain and just built into that mountain as far as um, the walls that go around it and uh, the stone houses that are built inside of those walls. So honestly, I, I think that there's enough inside of Florence for anybody to get excited about and want to travel three to four times a year, as, as I like to do. Um, but, uh, Florence is definitely top. Yeah, I, I think Florence is definitely my favorite. I'll echo you with San Gimignano, which is just like the quintessential cool little Tuscan town. 
Uh, I also think Luca is a super cool little city. I like Luca a lot. The walls and like there's cool food and everyone's nice and it's a little bit off the beaten path, but not too off the beaten path. So that like if your Italian isn't great, you can still get around. Uh, and then Rome is super cool because it's, you know, one of the world's great cities. And there's just all kinds of crazy stuff going on there, especially the the Trastevere region. I like a lot. Uh, I'll throw a, I'll throw a vote for Capri too. I, I don't think I would want to live there, but it's beautiful and like picturesque, and it's it's a nice place to spend a weekend or a few days. I think, and there's also some really really excellent cats hanging out there. <laughs> uh, for for other teams. I think Atalanta is probably my favorite non-Fiorentina team in Italy right now just because they're fun to watch and they score lots of goals. And uh, they're some of the people who do Atalanta work in English online, uh, Atalanta News, uh, Nige over there is just one of the genuinely nicest people, people you could meet. And he's, he's a delight to speak with. We're hoping to get him on here at some point soon. And the, uh, Las Vegas Atalanta supporters group, which is a truly strange phrase. Uh, but the, the folks, the folks over there are also really, really nice and just like smart, funny, realistic fans. So I, I like them a lot because they score a lot of goals and their fans are cool. Uh, other than that, I like Livorno a lot uh, just because they are, are sort of a weird political team. They're the communist team in Italy, which is sort of hilarious. And all their fans are like famously socialists, which makes for a really nice break from all the right-wing politics that you get in a bunch of clubs. And finally, I think that Piscara is a wonderful team just because their Twitter account is super cool and the person who runs it is hilarious. I'd have to give a shout out to uh, my father-in-law's, or uh, my stepfather's team. Um, He's from uh, Benevento, who uh, today had a very good game. Um, but I, I don't know if this question was designed to get some advice. Uh, honestly, my advice, if you're traveling over to Florence to get some time, don't do the whole tourist trap of Rome to Florence, Milan and, and Venice. Spend time in, in Florence. Um, hopefully if you need some advice and, and connections, let us know, get to know the city, get to know the people, the culture, uh, if you want some time outside of Venice, or I'm sorry, outside of Florence, then then go into Tuscany. I mean, drink some wine, right? You know, that's a good thing. Uh, they actually have uh, some of the best beaches um, in, in the world in, in Tuscany as well, which you really wouldn't expect. There's hot springs in between Florence and the beaches. Uh, the, the walled, you know, mountain you know, towns, the, the Etruscan towns that are there. Uh, and, and I can tell you this from, from experience, not all of these towns in Tuscany are going to be all for Florence, but there will be a viola club in each. So if you're looking for a place to watch the game, let us know. We can put you in touch with the right people. But my advice is definitely, if you're going there for the first time, experience Tuscany. You'll, you'll have uh, a more relaxed, less stressed type of trip if you're keeping everything local spending more time in Florence and um, you know just getting to to experiencing it as more of a Fiorentini than you would as a uh, as a tourist 
And the Tuscan Regional Board of Tourism did not pay for this message, but in case they are wondering, we are open for contract work. <laughs> All right, and having gone through the listener and audience questions, again, thank you, everyone. Those were very fun to both listen to and answer. I had a, at least I had a blast with them. Uh, Mike and I do figure we need to discuss Cesare Prandelli's start in Florence. And so let's go with three takeaways, because the number three seems to be featuring prominently for us today, uh, from Prandelli's first, first couple of games in charge. We should note that we are recording this before Fiorentina play Milan. So obviously this could change really, just in a, in a huge way, depending on how that goes. So we're only looking at two games so far. But yeah, Mike, what is your what is your first takeaway? You know, I, I think it's kind of hard to necessarily drill deep into the tactics, at least for me. You know, you're you're much better on the tactical side. So I will leave it um to you to address that. For me, I'm just gonna go a little bit more philosophical, maybe the the twenty thousand, you know, foot view here. Um, and we'll start getting into more of the cultural issues. Number one, I think the first thing that was exposed is that it was not a coach issue. I don't personally believe that Beppe Iacchini was the biggest issue being exposed as part of this transition. I, I think also part of that should go back to Rocco didn't necessarily want to fire him or fire him as quickly because he realized that. Um, I know our listeners, I know our readers, I know a lot of the other uh, Fiorentina fans who are very demonstrative. Um, I, I know that they're not going to agree with that, but that's just kind of reality. So number one, the coach wasn't necessarily the biggest issue on the squad. Um, Number two, I, I think, is, is a great thing. So why was Beppe part of the issue? He wasn't willing to address part of the issue the way that Prandelli is right now. Prandelli's actually come out and addressed the team publicly as well as uh, in person in, in the locker rooms um, as far as not being able to play up to the expectations. You know, he's addressed it head on. The team, the players need to play better. I think somebody like Beppe, who's been around, bounced between B and, and uh, Serie B and Serie A a couple times, who hasn't had uh, the experiences that Prendelli's had, may not be willing to take on some of these players the way that Prendelli will. But Prendelli will speak the truth. You know, if the players aren't playing the way that they should, call them out. You know, have that meeting in the locker room with them. I appreciate that. So I, I think number two for me is his willingness to address the not one, maybe one, one A, one B issues, which is the players aren't giving enough uh, and they need to give better inside of the club. Um, number three, honestly, I, I think it comes down to his approach. It does not seem like this is the long-term solution, coaching the men's team for Fiorentina. He definitely is setting this up 
for somebody else. I think that as part of it, we've talked about it in this podcast. We've talked about it uh, in previous podcasts. Um, Prandelli is going to be moving into a different role, more of a uh, administrative management uh, staff role, um, you know, replacing the, the Virginia role that was there before is what we've heard. He is really approaching this from a business standpoint. As a business person, I appreciate that. As somebody who takes a look at the squad as far as who we've had before, Rocco took over, and more importantly, who Daniele Prade took over, uh, and who we have now, from a business standpoint, the team's devalued. And I don't see where a lot of the uh, future growth is going to come from where before you could see Milankovic growing, you can see Chiesa growing, you can see Sotil growing, you can see so many of these other players growing, not only in stature, but also in value. We're lacking a lot of that. Uh, I think that Prandelli is a little bit more practical in understanding that, you know, he needs to take on players that he can develop, not only to help win games, but also to help build you know, transfer value, whether it's going to be selling them now or building them for, for a couple of years from now. Uh, and I appreciate that aspect of it because that's reality. That's the reality in which that we live in at this point in European football. That's the reality that we live in competing with Inter and AC Milan and, and Juventus and Napoli. And even now, you know, Roma and, and uh, Lazio. Roma is going to get even more powerful with, with the new ownership that they have. Who, isn't worth as much as Rocco is, but the the fan base and, and the valuation of the club and how much money and revenue they bring in, things that people don't like to hear about, um, all factor into it. I, I, I do like as number three, the third thing is Prandelli gets the business side of it. And I think that he's the perfect transfer away from where we were going into where we need to go along with Rocco. Rocco gets the business side of it. He's never had actually anybody who connects the dots of business to actually performance on the field and, and actually football inside of Serie A. Now he has that. I appreciate that. So those are my three. I, 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 I know that you're going to give a little bit more tactical. And, and honestly, I think that that's, you know, the, the great balance that you and I have is your mind versus mine and, and um, how we can kind of approach things for our, our listeners here. So I, I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, I, I feel like that's very much the case. You are definitely out of the two of us, the one who should like be in charge of all financial things because I would bankrupt this organization immediately. Uh, I, I think for me, the first thing that jumps out is the substitutions. This was something that we were all just furious with Giuseppe Iacchini about that he never went to the bench before about the 80th minute. Uh, I actually put together a spreadsheet with this that I don't have with me now, so I can't look it up, but it was like uh, when he made on average his first, second, third, fourth, fifth substitutions, and they were all way after league average. And so seeing him against Benevento when Fiorentina, you know, they lost that game. Let's not act like that was a great mark of progress. But he made three changes at the hour or before the hour mark, which is I can't remember the last time we saw a non-injury enforced sub that early for Fiorentina. 
And it was so nice to see him trying something different. So to me, that's the first one, just really quick. And the, the second thing that jumps out at me from these two games is sort of related. It's, it's flexibility, tactically. Uh, not only in terms of starting shape, you know, he went with sort of a 4-3-1-2 to start with, and we saw the squad sort of morph into like a 4-4-2 and then more of a 4-2-3-1. And obviously, without any wingers, it's pretty tough to play some of these formations. So he's he's not exactly figuring it out. But the fact that if he looks and sees, oh, this isn't working, we need to change something. I found that to be really encouraging. Uh, for example, uh, against Udinese in the Copa, uh, bringing on Paul Lirola for Igor. Or I'm, I'm sorry, that was against Benevento, wasn't it? Uh, bringing on Paul Lirola for Igor, shifting Milenkovic into the center of defense and moving Larola to right back, so you suddenly have a very different team dynamic with a guy from right back who wants to get forward a little more than uh, Milenkovic, and who's got a lot more speed. Or against uh, Udinese in the Copa, how he brought on uh, Montiel for Cáceres. It didn't change the shape. They were still in vaguely a 4-2-3-1. But you push Larola back to right back, and then you have Montiel, a whole different dynamic for the opposition to defend against. So he's he's being a lot more proactive and he's forcing opponents to react to what Fiorentina does rather than only being reactive and trying to figure out what the other team is doing and how to stop it. He's trying to make the other team answer these questions too, which I don't think Yakini did. With Yakini, it was always the same question that he was asking. And once you knew the answer, you knew the answer. With Prandelli, he changes the questions so far. Again, it hasn't exactly worked brilliantly. I mean, obviously, early days, squad learning a new system, new tactics, all of that, going to be tough. But to me, that's really encouraging. Uh, The third takeaway, I think, for me from his first two games in charge is just that this this is a busted squad, man. Uh, There's no coherence at all. Like, looking at how many I think in midfield, it's most striking to me. None of the midfielders can play with one or two touches and move the ball quickly. Everyone takes four or five touches, you know, and they'll dribble away from danger and then pick the head up and look for the pass. And by the time they've done that, the opposing defense has already figured out exactly what's happening and positioned themselves. So all you can do is bring it back. You, you need you need that the whole team to be on the, the same page so that you take a touch and you know, even if you don't see it right at that moment, you know, oh, someone is making this run to this spot. Someone else is moving into this space. I have two options. I need to choose one of them. Right now, these guys play like the guys I play with. You know, like there's no idea of what anyone else is doing. And it's like, what, how, what have you guys been doing in training together for the past year and a half? Come on. Uh, I think the lack of movement up top from the strikers is also pretty striking as it were. Uh, Like we we've seen not nearly enough of the forwards trying to get in behind or trying to move in the box, find those little creases in the defense. I think Vlaovic in particular 
has been trying to play with his back to the goal and sort of post up on a defender, and it's not working for whatever reason. Uh, I, I think the other thing I really like to see if if the team's going to do that instead of playing the ball up to the striker and hoping he can turn and then break into the open field, you know, hold off the defender and then lay it off for a midfielder or another striker moving at pace through the defense. And that's that, that deforms the opposing backline way more than just like, can you win this very low percentage one-on-one battle? So we've seen glimpses of this. There were a few moves over the past week that we've seen with the strikers holding up play, knocking it down for someone else, and then turning, running. There are a couple of really nice moments, but not nearly enough. Uh, And I think the final thing is a word that I come back to all the time with this team, and that's identity. What does this team do under Prondelli? We don't know. I mean, it's been two games, so it's going to take a while longer. But also, is this a team that defends high? Do you play with a high line or a low line? Do you press high up the pitch? Do you set in a, in a block in the middle where you basically let the opposing defense have it, but as soon as they move the ball forward, then you press? Do you sit really deep and let the opponent play in your own half the whole time and try to exploit space in behind? Are you a team that plays long balls? Are you a team that keeps the ball? Do you attack through the wide areas? Do you pass through the middle? No one knows. No one knows what this team is supposed to do. Much The players certainly don't. The fans definitely don't. And until we have some sort of coherent identity for this team as a whole, I think that that's not going to change or improve. Obviously, a lot of that is on the coach, but a lot of that has to go beyond the coach also and go up to the sporting director. And I think that Daniele Prade has shown that through how many coaches now that he can't establish that, that sort of culture. And I re- I really do think that Prandelli, maybe he can get something like that going, but who knows? I mean, like just look at like looking at the Primavera playing in a four, three, three, when the first team was playing at three, five, two. So even if those kids come through the system and you were, uh, let's say that you're a Christian Dalimura and you've been playing on the right of a back, like as the right-sided center back in a back four for your whole career, and then you get a chance to play with the senior team, and all of a sudden you're on the outside of a back three, and you have no clue what you're supposed to be doing. Like that, that it's just it's such a bad system that Fiorentina is put together, or lack thereof. And watching this team under Prandelli, even with maybe a little more enthusiasm for the players and a little more emphasis on going forward and scoring goals and being proactive, it's really hammered home to me how, just how broken this team is and how long it's going to take to fix it. Listen, your your, your third point is probably the one that I will uh, hone in on. I think that you made... I don't know, countless, (laughs) absolutely wonderful points. And all the points that hopefully if anybody inside of Fiorentina is listening to, will will, you know, pay attention to and and start, you know, trying to fix. I I, I don't know. I I don't know how we fix it that quickly. Um, Honestly, it has to be a a Prade situation. I don't think Prade goes into or should be allowed to go into January 
because of what's already played out. Man, I, I don't know even where it goes after that. Like what players stay, what players go. Talking about identity, we have none. And I don't know how any coach, regardless of their abilities, their formations, or willingness to adapt to players, can actually bring forth an identity with what we have at this point. And I hate to end a podcast in, in such a you know grim you know tone and and uh, and story, but it 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 is an, an issue, and it's the biggest issue that we have. I hate watching our midfield. We have so much talent there. You and I spoke after the uh, uh, the Copa game, and I brought up watching the Barcelona teams of the late 2000s and early 2010s and how they could move the ball across the pitch just with one touch and how that amazed me based off of watching Fiorentina. They will touch the ball five or six times without going a few yards. I grew up playing basketball. Like that's a sin in basketball. If you dribble the ball that many times without actually gaining space, gaining distance, that that's awful it's the same thing in football here you can't do that like why do we allow it I don't get it I, I don't think that that will continue under Prandelli because he's already been willing to speak out and and go public go private doesn't matter he's, he's been willing to talk about those things so you know there's a lot that is going on with inside of this club. I do think that we're in a better spot right now because Prandelli is strong enough. He has the history. He has the experience. He understands what's going on. He can diagnose it. And at the same time, he can fix it. I do fear though, that now we have that gap between Prandelli and Rocco or Joe Barone to get the right players. I hate to be the person who advocates for somebody to lose their job. That's not who I want to be, especially during a pandemic. But also at the same time, this is the nature of, of football in Europe. You either produce or you don't. You mentioned it. Three coaches now have been in trying to make sense of what Prade has done over three transfer windows. How many times do people get so angry at seeing potentially one of the best players on the team, Amrabat, not being able to be Amrabat of last year. It, it, it is mind-blowing. It is infuriating. That's one of those things where I think as fans, like we'd like to see it get better. That's where we need to see progress is with inside of the structure of um, who's making decisions. Uh, I, I'd like to see, again, I don't want to, promote somebody losing their job, but I, I would like to see somebody come in and make better decisions for the club. I'll go back to, we've talked Leeds before, Leeds United, and, and look what, uh, what they've done under a, uh, an, an, uh, an Italian, American Italian owner who purchased the club. And you know who they brought in to help? Sandra Mancucci, former Fiorentina CEO. And they also brought in a director of sport. You know, Tito, you talk about it all the time, data-driven. They brought in a data-driven uh, director of sport. 
we lack that. We lack, we have somebody who has relationships. We have somebody who's purchased the players that we've purchased before. And now it's just bringing them back in who's hired the same coaches before. And now we're bringing them back in. Um, and it's an issue. So hopefully it fixes itself uh, or hopefully Rocco fixes it. But we have now really a month to go until the next window opens. And uh, hopefully we see some progress. Hopefully the team wins. Tomorrow is another day. Hopefully they continue to show promise. But more importantly, I'd like as a fan to start seeing the business side of things pick up. Because that's, uh, that's where I also get excited. You know, the future, what it, what it is to, uh, to entail. And just to prevent this from ending on a really grim note for, I think, maybe the second episode in a row, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to pivot this completely. So, Mike, so there's this duck who walks into a bar, right? And he hops up on the bar stool with his flat feet and waves over the bartender, and the bartender comes over and says, could I, could I get you anything? And the duck asks him, do you got any grapes? And the bartender says, no, no, we don't have any grapes. And the duck hops down off of the bar stool and leaves. And then the next day, the duck walks back in and hops back up on that same bar stool and calls the bartender over. And the duck asks him, so do you got any grapes? And the bartender says, no, I, we don't have any grapes. It's a bar. We don't have grapes. So the duck hops down and leaves. And the next day, the duck walks back in and hops back up on that same bar stool and waves the bartender over, says, so you got any grapes? And the bartender says, no, we don't have grapes. It's a bar. We didn't have grapes yesterday. We don't have them today. We're not going to have them ever. If you walk in here tomorrow and ask me if we have grapes, I'm going to nail your damn feet to that bar stool. So the duck hops down and leaves and the duck walks back in the next day and hops up on that same bar stool and waves the bartender over and asks him, so you got any nails? Our nutter says, what? No. The duck says, you got any grapes? <laughs> and I like that's it. All I got. <laughs> Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Huge thank you to the lovely and talented Lauren, who is too good for Tito and was willing to break up the monotony of this podcast with her mellifluous tone. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.